This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you're insurgency me up, man. in their you're lives. Fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. <laughs> I'll tell you what, brother. It's not often when you get to bring a lion onto a show, right? Somebody that understands going toe-to-toe with the injustices of life. And I'm so fired up. We've been doing more of these kinds of shows where people are actually out there. They're fighting for what's right, right? Their never-quit story is really about fighting for what's right. And I just love having that on. And to boot, to boot, eh? To boot, he's from Canada, eh? Ryan Reynolds. Where he's from. <laughs> greatest actor ever. He's from the land the greatest, of Reynolds. He's from the land of Reynolds. We love you, Ryan. AKA Come, Canada. AKA you're the greatest. AKA the frozen neighbor. AKA we can't wait to have you on the show. AKA the land of Labatt's Blue and Maple Syrup. AKA, the real Deadpool. AKA we even like Green Lantern. <laughs> I don't know if we go that far. <laughs> well, the, so what is so awesome about pugilism? Honestly, Marcus, what do you think? Greatest thing about, uh, uh, we already know it's the number one, according to ESPN, right, Wizard? It's the number right, one the hardest most difficult sport. sport. 
What do you love most about it, bud? I mean, it's a human chess match. It's kind of the purest form, right? You against the other person. and the... I don't never, I've ever gotten into a fight during chess, though. No, it's not. You haven't been in a real chess match. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you weren't trying. <laughs> yeah, we're trying hard enough. But I mean, just uh, you train fighters, you know this. The yeah. hardest thing is just to walk in there to do that. And anybody who's been in altercation or fighting when we were in grade school, you remember, man, the the one where like, hey, after school, this is going down. You're like all yep. day to think about it. Imagine that. Think about man. No, and you're getting into a fight. Right, man. and, more, and the, the the more tired you get, the more worn out you get, the more you know hit. Man, you just kind of. It takes a lot to keep your resolve, right? To well, keep your calm. I guess that they're, they're the they're the best at keeping their calm. I, I you know I got this huh. incredible opportunity to work with Andre Arvlovsky. He's been in the UFC nineteen years. He you know former world heavyweight champion, and to watch his preparation, to watch how he prepares, and to do it over and over and over and oh, it was just fascinating to me. He was so, he's such a warrior. Uh, just have nothing but respect for that guy. It's pretty awesome, man. Mm. What about you, Wizard? What do you think is the coolest thing about pugilism? The coolest thing about pugilism? I like the, really, of all combat sports, I like how primal it is. There's a lot of technical skill involved, but it's different than other sports where you have a ball, mm. right, or some kind of a track you're racing. So no, you're this not is in a, a car. There's no you don't have a racket. Nothing can break down, man. Too, yeah, in my it. mind, it might be the most primal, along with wrestling. Yeah. wrestling is very much uh the same way in my mind yeah you get away of all the external distractions you're using the best of what god blessed you with mm -hmm. you know what my favorite part about it is the badass movies there have been about and Man. this dude had one made about his life Let's, i mean think about the incredible boxing movies there have been right Oh, there's a pile. Uh, the best uh, part about it, man, is they let you live the life. You feel like you're going to be Rocky. Yeah, everyone, da, we all da, know. Da, 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 even da, 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 when the tire comes on, you're oh. like, yeah, man, I could be a boxer. Bro, bro, <laughs> my, Jada and I, we play Eye of the Tiger before every one of our girls' games, before every performance they give. We got Eye of the Tiger blasting, right? Wizard, what are the best? How do they react to that? I love it. My, yeah. Yeah. My, the, the one, our nickname is the seed, man. She starts jamming out. She gets all fired up, man. It's incredible. <laughs> they love it. You know, my youngest, the bear, the bruiser, her favorite is devil went down to Georgia. So, I mean, she <laughs> rocks out to that dude. So, I mean, what are, all right, here's the deal. What are some of the greatest boxing movies ever? What do you think? Man, raging bull, the hurricane, Fighter, yeah, Rocky, roll. three and four. Well, one's great. Three and four, I will always, if it's on, I will sit down and watch that. Four's and, your yeah, one, huh? And, uh, number three is what really drug me into the Rocky movies. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and uh, well, I remember going to the first one and just losing my mind in the theater. Man, I mean, you can't just, beat that. What else? What, what are some other great ones there? What about uh, Cinderella Man? Oh. Yeah, that's a good one. That was good. What was his name? Brodick? Brodick? Yeah. Braddock. Braddock, right? In the in the depression, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, depression yep. area fighting for his you know his family. Oh, and the survive, common yeah. man, the 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 dock workers who who lived through his victory. Oh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're undisputed. I always liked that one a lot. It was Wesley Snipes. And I don't know if I saw that one. Ah, that's a new one on me. 
What was Peter's big boxy movie that he Great was White in? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was about to throw that one. I was holding on that to last. <laughs> oh, I love uh, it, uh, Ali was good. Will Smith, he did a great job in Ali. Yeah, unbelievable. And, um, yeah. What else you got? How about Million Dollar Baby? Oh. Uh, true story, too. Uh, so ring, another there, true story. There's right? a Ring of Fire documentary uh, about... Um, where he kills somebody in, in the in the ring. Right. It's called uh, Ring of Fire, I think. It's pretty good. That's good. What else? What else? Oh. You want you? Well, you already mentioned Raging Bull. I mean, that's a classic. That's right? one of my favorites, right? For sure. Jake LaMotta. What a what a tragic figure, but man. Creed? Are the Creed boxing movies, are they doing good? Absolutely. He just finished. He just, they wrapped on shooting this past one, man. I am. Of oh, course. Hey, I, I found that one. Ring of Fire, the Emil, uh, Emil Griffith story. Griff, is that what it is, Griffin? Yeah. Yeah, Griffith story. I hadn't heard of that one. I need to check well, that out. Just remember all the, the actual massive boxing matches throughout my, my, I remember vividly being just blown away when it was. Uh, Sugar Ray versus Hearns, Hearns, Sugar Ray. I mean, those series really brought, I think, brought it back from where it had been with Ali. And then we went into Tyson. Chavez. Oh, Sugar Ray Leonard, man, that guy was so cool, man. That's when I started watching the Hagler Hearns. That's when you, the TV guy, I mean, I used to watch Ali um, and Foreman with my dad, and that's kind of how we bonded. And then Roy Jones Jr., man, Sweet Pete Whitaker, I thought them guys. Oh, and then awesome. uh, Tarver, Tyson, man, that guy, Holyfield, Woo. Mayweather, Pac-Man, all them guys. Just. But what I love most are the stories, right? The stories behind this. The stories of the yeah. fighters themselves and what, why they're fighting, what they're fighting for. And today's show is going to serve that purpose. So welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. Now, before I move on, what we really want to do is we've got to thank our listeners, right? I mean, because listening to us so much of the time is like going into a boxing match in your brain, right? But you keep coming back by the millions, (laughs) and we can't thank you enough. We love you. We appreciate it. I'll go back, Punchy. What What was that in? (laughs) Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, that's right. Don't look at me, Punchy. You heard what I said. I said Palooka. Oh, Palooka. Palooka, right? Yeah. Do you know what Palooka means? No, but no. coming out of his mouth, it was definitely definitely insulting. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce didn't like that. Oh, it was so awesome. That's why I guns him down with a Mac 10. In the bathroom, right? While he's reading his pulp yeah. book, How right? insulting like that? How insulting is it to get... After you just leaving your Mac Ten on the counter while you're <laughs> taking it, taking a deuce. Oh, because you'd rather read than read, be yeah. safe, right? I love it. All right, stakeout. I, I got to throw this in there. Palooka. Joe Palooka is an American comic strip about a heavyweight boxing champion. Yeah, that's why I created said that. by Ham Fisher in 1921. Palooka, a stupid, uncouth person, a lout. A lout. Mm-hmm. Only, only Quentin Tarantino Tarantino would put that in oh, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know exactly what he's doing. Yeah, oh. totally. I love it. All right. Yeah, that's him. If you want to know more about why it is we do what we do, then just visit our website at tnqpodcast.com where you can download all of our shows are there. Little bit pieces about the uh, guests we've had on. You can also find our show at Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, CastBox. We're streaming on Spotify now, on Stitcher, and pretty much every platform on your mobile device. Uh, We've even got some YouTube videos of a couple shows. We promise to get more of those out. 
Uh, and we're just fired up, man. Uh, if you want to check out our merchandise, man, just go to the, the, uh, our website. We've got hats, new shirts, the whole deal for you. And if you want to follow us, just follow the show on Instagram at TNQ podcast, follow team, never quit at team, never quit Marcus at Marcus Luttrell, the wizard at the wizard TNQ and me at team frog logic wizard brother. Sure. Let's get the lion red into this show and get this man on. All right, Pardeep Nagra. He's a former Canadian amateur boxer. He's a Sikh religious and human rights activist activist, and currently the director of the Sikh Heritage Museum of Canada. He came to Canada as a young man, I think maybe around five years old. He came up uh, playing sports. He eventually uh, suffered a, a soccer injury on his shoulder. Um this was around the time that I guess he was training for the local police force, the Peel Regional Police. Um, he says that, unfortunately, the surgery took place as I began training to be an auxiliary constable. I joined a boxing gym to heal and strengthen my shoulder and upper body. One day while I was boxing, someone came into the gym and told me that if I ever wanted to compete, I would have to shave that. Now, he's talking about his beard. And we mentioned before that he's a Sikh. Um, in, in Sikhism... One of the primary elements of what they call in their behavioral code of Rahit, which also has, which also they're not allowed to smoke uh, tobacco, drink alcohol, drink meat, is Kesh, that they do not cut their hair um, and that they have to keep it covered usually by a turban. He proves to be quite a talented boxer, and in 1999, he runs into conflict with the Ontario Amateur Boxing Association over keeping his beard and being able to fight. At the time, fighters had to be clean sheet clean-shaven during matches. Uh, it actually says that they could have mustaches trimmed and neat, but along with sideburns, but beards were, were disallowed. He gets into a fight with them. They, they make a lot of arguments, reasonings why he, he's not allowed to do this. Apparently, this, it seems most certainly that this uh, was a product of, like an institutional, of institutional racism against him, which just provokes and entrenches his desire to, to fight against this. Um, he eventually wins approval against the Ontario Amateur Boxing Association and moves on to, to the national level. His goal here was to compete in the Canadian, join the Canadian national boxing team. So once he reaches Vancouver, he has to deal with a different boxing association, this time the Canadian Amateur Boxing Association, or known as Boxing Canada, who refused to allow him to weigh in. His lawyers immediately went to court, which agreed with him, and... Told the, told, the, told the association that he was to be allowed in the fight. The answer to that by Boxing Canada was to cancel the entire weight class. Eventually, the, you know, they, they, reinstate the, they reinstate the competition at a later date. He's allowed to compete. Overall, it was, a, it was a great win for him. So I think the last thing to mention here is that all of this was turned into a movie, 2018, directed by Alistair Gerson. Um, and he's in one of the principal actors, and it was actually uh, Mickey Rourke. That's the important part right there. And what I love about <laughs> that kid, part. he if you've seen the, the photos of Mickey Rourke lately, there's a picture of him a couple years ago in the ring, still boxing, man. Oh, really? Still boxing at his age. Good. It's incredible. And to have him be a part of this movie, to bring more awareness, to bring more more incredible uh, uh, draw to this to tell Pardeep's story. Man, I just can't wait, man. This is going to be awesome. 
Let's get them on the show, shall we, boys? Absolutely. Ding, ding. Marcus? What is it about pugilism that gets you so fired up? Is it the direct combat? Is it the face-to-face? Is it the fact that ESPN ranks it as the number one most difficult athletic sport in the world? What is it about it that gets you fired up, man? Well, it's the purest form of existence in a, in a hostile environment. And it's truly every all your wits, your everything you have inside of you that you've trained. And that, that I mean, people can show it to you, but it has to be locked into you and to, to take all of that and compete against somebody else. And it's the presence of death. <clears throat> you sit there oh. and you start beating on each other. You know, once the... Thank the good Lord there's a ref because in the boxing ring, if when they get mad, if they were to keep going, it would... It, you know, you know what I'm talking about? It'd oh, be bad. yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that gloves, primal instinct comes out. People make this mistake about, well, you know, I, I'm not a boxer, but I don't, I don't, you know, we don't box in the streets or we don't MMA in the streets or something. I'm like, hey, you don't understand, man. They're, they're following the rules, too. Right. Right. You ever seen a boxer open up in the streets? It is something to watch. Well, <laughs> It's, it's the chess game of the the human body. The human body, also the human mind, the strategy, how, mind, the will, and, and the All whole it. thing. It is the purity of 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 what sport could be, right? Well, today our guest not only has taken his passion for boxing, but as a metaphor in life in the combat against injustice, man. And that's what I love so much about party. So I, I I'm not gonna wait another second ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children around the world it's time oh that's his brother right I, yeah all right <laughs> party welcome to the show man god bless hey, my you. pleasure my pleasure listen i'm just enjoying listening to you guys describe the sport that i love and um oh i i mean i mean i'm getting shivers just the way you guys are describing it because in its rawest form that's exactly what it's about, right? Yes. And yes. Um, and when you guys talk about near death, I mean, we have a Canadian uh, uh, boxer right now who just fought about a week ago who's in a coma. Oh, no. And um, so, hmm. you know, uh, uh, peace with the family there and, and our best wishes. But, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's also one of the realities, right? And it's a driver too, isn't it? It's actually yeah. part of the 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 fuel, right? That you can stand toe to toe, and with the hopes yeah. of your training, your focus, everything about your spirituality. Well, it I drags mean, you into the purest form of confidence around ooh, you. I like that. The minute you uh, get cocky, you'll get beat for sure. Oh, yeah, right. It's that whole, and it is to a level to. When you get real good at it, it's just you're real good at fighting. Most fights, we want to end them real fast and get on about our way, right? But if you've got somebody who's willing to stand in there and be confident, that don't, mm. the body knows how much pain they can take, and they know by whatever standing across from, by the way they're standing, by the way they carry themselves. If you learn anything and everything you possibly need to know about a human being and how to identify it, just because you want, in case you have to fight it. And fighters always do that, no matter how. You can't take them away from it. They, it's, it's in not, them. Right. It's not like leaving the military or anything else, man. You walk around with that. I love it. Well, I, I, let's, I want to get into that, that, you know, that fighters are born, right? And in that core, uh, that, that, and I, I will get into it. But for first, before we go anywhere, party, 
we we cannot we have to truly get warmed up for this interview we've got to get you know we've got to limber up we've got to we've got to do our speed bag on your brain if you will so what we call this we call this the mad minute and this is us just firing straight jabs uppercuts you know as much as we can fire at you to get you limbered up and ready for the 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 true bout that's ahead of us all right are you ready for this oh i'm ready all right marcus fire away all right brother if money didn't exist what would you be doing for a living Ooh. oh i would uh, be giving my time and service to the community absolutely and i still continue to do that and you can do that with just a heart full of love you don't need any money to serve I love this guy already, man. Are you kidding me? That, have we right. ever gotten a heart full of love yeah. on the first Mad this, Minute this, this answer? This one of those when we get done, I'll be walking around feeling like I didn't do enough. <laughs> I already ever, feel it. Ever, I already yeah, like, feel man, it. I, what are you, well, not, I should be doing something right now. <laughs> I love it. All right, it's funny. I've always said, I've always said, I know it's a mile a minute. I might take a minute to answer your question. I've always said, uh, uh, I'm not here to make money. I'm here to make a life, right? And, and for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah, we say that in our family, too. Uh-huh. You make a million memories and save a dollar from each. Uh-huh. Right, right. Then you go yeah. back and live it out. You get out and you try, <laughs> try to make a million dollars, you're going to make a million mistakes. Amen. <laughs> All right. If you could possess someone else's body for a month completely anonymously, who would it be and what would you do? Oh, wow. If I can be in somebody's body, it would probably be Nelson Mandela's. Oh, uh, nice. Here was a gentleman that uh, uh, was a lawyer. So you got the brains. Here's somebody who was also a boxer. So you got the fighting spirit. And here who's somebody who's a humanitarian and a human rights activist. And then even getting out, um, I just had a chance to see the gentleman who is, is a trustee of his will right now. And he still talks about him, who was, a, who was a fellow person who served time with Nelson Mandela, still not coming mm. to terms with the level that Nelson Mandela has asked us as human beings for forgiveness, right? Yeah. And, and so that body, I mean, just thinking about that will still make me shake right now, right? To see if I can actually even sustain that, being in that body, just to know what it feels like and mm. what he went through mentally, emotionally, physically. Ah, Oh, the greatest thrill. And never losing hope, right? <laughs> never losing oh, the ability yeah. to live that higher state of consciousness. Uh, yeah. yeah, in order to achieve that, most of us, you know, they have to, to go off into the middle of nowhere, into a cave or somewhere where there's no lights, sounds, anything like that. And yeah. was, that was his mentality when he went in there. It was mind training. Right? You know yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, as long as you keep me in here, there's more power from my mind. It's gonna, it went the other way around. No, they you're say not going to break them. No, yeah. When they, don't, do, don't let the time do you. You do the time. Yeah. That's, that's, wow. yeah. 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 All right. I'm going to hit you with an even deeper question than these two. Are you ready? Here we go. <laughs> if you could fight either one, who would it be? Rocky Balboa or Mickey Rourke? Oh, uh, let's go for Rocky. And then after Rocky, I'm going for Creed. What do you think? Tiger <laughs> Rocky and Tiger for Creed. Let's, let's get it going. I just gave you an idea. No excuses now, all right? I brought the idea with you guys. You guys can make millions off me. <laughs> and, and you know what's interesting? Because you know we're going to get to it. And I've always thought this is phenomenal because in, in my line of work professionally, uh, working in human rights, diversity, equity stuff, uh, the term we use for religion or faith, and you know we're going to talk about the beard and everything all afterward, yeah. is the term creed. Yeah. Right. So, so it has double mm. meaning. But yeah, let's go for Rocky 
And then I'll get to Creed. What do you say? I think it's done. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, we had a guy, a gentleman on before. His name's Bernard Carrick. He's a former police commissioned uh, uh, New York City during 9-11, and he's best friends yeah. with Sylvester Stallone. And so I, I every what? now and then, like, we're working <laughs> on this charity thing together. Every now and then, after we have our little talks, I'm like, Hey, by the way, have you talked to Sly? Is he coming on yet? <laughs> so when yeah, he yeah. comes on, when he comes on and I ask him that question, it'll be, who do you want to fight? Pardeep or, or Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> there you go. Marcus, fire away. All right, back to the boxing. What was your most anticipated fight that you wanted to see that never went down? Oh, that's a good one. Um, in terms of, for, for, in my fight? No, no, no. Uh, uh in, in history, in, in history, yeah. In in, in history, yeah. You know, unfortunately, uh, uh, it's 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 a fight that probably happened, but I wasn't or I was too young. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, right? I, yeah. I caught oh, him yeah. at, the, at the end of his career, and boy, you know, today you can talk about some great fighters. I mean, Bernard Hopkins. I've I've always thought, you know, uh, you look at Mayweather and everything else. But when you talk about the whole personality attached again with human rights, again attached with the physique, the training, um, the rope of dopes, the, the the way he carried himself pre-fight, after fight, during fight, I mean, oh, I would have I would have died to to be able to watch uh, him in his prime. Right, uh, oh, throw yeah. in Manila, yeah. man, what a uh, great. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I, okay, when I get on that boxing tear, I'll go through the Tyson highlights and then Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. and then back down and then Ollie. Because the way he, when you watched him do his thing, you're like, wait a minute, man, that doesn't look right. Because yeah. he, he could paw at you, and people don't realize how big that dude was. Huge. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I wish that Pac Man and uh, Mayweather would have fought back when they were, when Mayweather yeah. didn't have a loss, but Pac Man does when right. they were trying to put that together. Yeah. I wish yeah, I could, yeah, yeah. that, that one would've, they would have thrown down on that one. Right. <laughs> All right, what is uh, one element of Sikh religious culture you think that people who are unfamiliar would find particularly interesting? Whoa. Uh, that we actually have uh, gender sovereignty. And so uh, all Sikhs carry the uh, name Singh and females core. And it's really interesting because when you kind of uh, pick that apart, then you'll start understanding more dimensions of the faith and it gets to the concepts of equality. And so... It's an interesting piece. Yeah. What are those two? I, I read a little bit about. Tell, explain to our listeners what those two, like sing and and what the what do those mean? Yeah, yeah. So so sing is 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 traditionally and loosely translated as uh, lion. Yeah. And uh, uh, core is loosely translated as, as princess, right? And uh, and it's really interesting because uh, you know uh, here in, in as part of the Commonwealth in Canada we, we uh, and as you guys celebrate Veterans Day and stuff we celebrate uh, Remembrance Day uh, as well and you guys have Memorial Day uh, every single Sikh soldier who fought by the uh, thousands in World War One uh, entered their last uh, act before going into war of signing their attestation papers and they all every single one of them signed it as Singh as a sovereign. Wow, right. just just sing, right? Just sing. Just sing, yeah, 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 yeah. Every single one of them. We know some of them had other uh, uh, family names and stuff like that, but every single one of them, by and and there were and there were over a hundred thousand, right? Mm -hmm. Went under the name uh, each sign that sing, right? Ah, so, so, so it's that's cool. Powerful, powerful narrative. Powerful that's narrative. so cool. My favorite one is he left out uh, the warriors. 
Straight yeah. Street Warriors. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I always heard that. I heard it in the teams too. Matter of fact, um, at last Christmas, my, I was traveling with my kids, and Axe were standing in an airport somewhere, and yeah. he grabbed my shirt and asked me. He goes, "What's that on? What is he?" I was like. Oh, that's a Sikh, son. Come over here. Let's check this out. It's, he's a warrior. Yeah. Watch. And we yeah. walked over there to introduce him, and I just felt like I wanted to introduce him to a warrior kind of deal, man. That's cool. Uh, oh, yeah. Cool. Reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of yeah, – no, and I appreciate that. I mean, I mean uh, uh, I'm also a historian, a researcher, and a collector, and have, have a lot of uh, no, uh, letters and tales of the Sikh warrior spirit. Uh, and, in fact, uh, uh, our first prime minister of Canada in 1867 – said, one day I'm sure war is going to come between England and the United States. And he's writing to a friend and colleague in the, in the office. He says, and you can do as a yeoman's of service by sending an army of seats. Right? <laughs> and so you're talking about that warrior tradition <laughs> there, right? And he, and he said, you know, we'll put it around uh, California and, you know, hold it as collateral for Montreal, right? So so that's how long uh, the, the historical narrative of this warrior, uh, you know, so-called caste or community has has gone. And, and you know, there's... There, there, there's one from a theological faith principle because because we we have a concept of having to serve and protect and standing up against injustice and so that that's an actionable piece and so you have to have that uh, to to be able to go into the fight of, of of human rights life and then there's the geopolitical that we're from the northwest area of Punjab and 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 it's the only landmass into that area uh, that that Alexander the Great and a whole bunch of other people have tried to come through the Khyber Pass into Punjab and so. You know, both those narratives speak to 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 our tradition. So, absolutely, warrior saints, warrior saints, warrior saints. I <laughs> love and that. Everyone's really got stopped right there in Kyber Pass, right? Alexander, he yeah. didn't make it through. Yeah, everybody, yeah, everybody gets yeah. shut down right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because it was that it was that area that we've held strong up there in in, in the northwest frontier. Love it. All right, here you go. If you could, uh, if you could travel back in time to participate in a specific. Uh, human rights movement. When would it be, and where? Well, I, you know, for and there's been lots. There's been lots. I would, I would probably say, um, because it was affecting at least fifty percent of our uh, population, it would probably be the suffragette movement. And, and uh, I think because there was not enough allies in terms of the men who were dominant around that time to support uh, something that was affecting 50% of the population, literally, right? Mm. And, and it's not that other human rights don't affect a large portion of the population, stuff like that. But I think the suffragette movement would have been a phenomenal time for me to be engaged in and, and do my thing. That's awesome. I love it. Marcus. Mm. All right, brother, if you could <laughs> run away for a year and join the circus, what would you do in there? <laughs> so we're talking about things. I'll be the lion. Yeah. Our first one. Our first one. Everybody's wanted to be a trapeze, trapeze artist, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> no way. I love it. All right, wizard. That's awesome. All right. What is your, I don't know, what's your worst vacation or worst vacation moment you ever had? Wow. Um, I, I guess uh, the vacation moments are, are when I'm stuck in a hotel. Yeah. Right. Um, you, you know, I've, I've always liked to try to be part of uh, but, but But I'll tell you my biggest regret. And it wasn't necessarily a vacation, but I was at the World UN Conference in mm -hmm. South Africa in Durban. And 
I had a chance to visit Robin Island and Nelson Mandela's home and stuff. Right. So, so there, there's a relative regret in that, and I don't regret much things in life that I had an opportunity that I didn't fully take advantage of. Uh, but yeah, any any vacation where I end up being stuck uh, for whatever reason in, in in a hotel as part of the vacation narrative, uh, I uh, yeah, brutal, <laughs> brutal, brutal. All right, all right. Brutal. All right. Last question, Mark. Is fire away. All right, brother. Favorite superhero. Favorite superhero. Wow, wow. Well, I see Spidey over there. So, so, so. Mm, uh, mm. Let 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 let. He's let, a good let, one. Let, let, Spidey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. We we have everybody, and it's it. it everybody comes up with such different answers, right? And it's just like. And and then you get into like why and why and, asking that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. we, somebody we, we got hammered the other day. Oh, mom! Somebody said their yeah. mom. I was like, yeah, of course. Thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah. We just had two of those. That one down all <laughs> makes you feel bad. Yeah, it's a hypothetical. Yeah, let, let, yeah, yeah, you should have put it into the quotes when they're saying, "No, no, we're asking you as part of the superhero narrative, not who is a superhero <laughs> in your life." Kind of thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, you know, you know, we can't be on shows like this, right? And I remember I did a parent conference recently, right? And the first thing when I opened up and I said, yeah, you know, if my mom ever found out I'm here speaking uh, at a parent conference, she would actually probably slap me and knock me down off the stage saying, who are you? And what kind of parent do you think you are? I'm the parent. <laughs> Don't ever forget that, right? So, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. We always have to you. Ma, I t- the other day, man, I, I, try, I wasn't telling her to do something. I was just kind of like, hey, Ma, you need to. Yeah. She, she dropped that on me. She's like, hey. I'm your mother. I tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. Yeah, you don't tell me. Check, Roger. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, gotcha. All right, that is the Mad Twelve Minutes. Thank you, Party, for your oh, no, conscientious it. and and wonderful answers. Uh, the 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 real reason people come to our show and all around the world is uh, we believe that you know pain is the unifying characteristic of of the human condition and and suffering is, is doesn't care about uh race color creed or socioeconomic background and so everybody's in a fight everybody's in some type of struggle and they're coming here because they know our guests have a unique perspective on their own point of suffering their own pain and 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 all of them have have developed a a never quit mindset that enables them to to evolve and to to see the world with a different perspective in a very positive way so would you please for us and most especially for our listeners please share your greatest never quit story or stories with our listeners Oh, great. And I really appreciate the intro because, you know, I always talk about it and within the sick uh, theology, we, we always talk about joy and pain as an equal role that you have to wear in life. And I sometimes share a story where I was, uh, a friend had just passed away and I got a call and I immediately rushed to the hospital. And as I was attending to, to him and his family, um, I, I went out into the Poirier area and, uh, and I was just then receiving uh, family and, and, and friends because uh, we wanted to just control how many people go into the room when my friend was, was still uh, there but uh, now had passed away. And uh, I seen another friend coming and has balloons and everything and, and he's celebrating and he gives me a big hug because he just had a baby. And here I'm standing in this moment of joy and pain at mm. the same moment of life, right? And so it's so interesting. And, and we know and we've heard of 
some of those uh, spiritual uh, pieces where they say, you know, I, I asked God for uh, courage and he gave me obstacles to overcome. You know, I, I asked God for love and he gave me people to serve and stuff. And I got nothing I asked for and everything I needed. And, you know, exactly what you're saying is, is uh, you know, this concept of pain is what will ultimately test an individual, right? Because joy yeah. and happiness, uh, we're flying. You don't even need to ask me how I'm feeling. You can see it, <laughs> feel it, engage it, and you're just going. But, but, but really, test of character it really comes from those difficult moments, right? Uh, and and so mm. for me, I guess, you know, if we look at the whole journey of, 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 of me wanting to compete as an athlete and eventually wanting to achieve a level of competition where I'm representing my country, uh, Canada, um, and the Maple Leaf, uh, but I was prevented uh, from, from competing, uh, tested every single uh, will and character of me. Uh, my life was threatened. I was attacked. It was a huge financial uh, burden. It was huge psychological and emotion challenge to be trying to train as a boxer and fight uh, my first fight outside of the ring and the legal case itself. And then uh, thinking I ha got the right uh, to compete um, and won the right to compete. And then the Canadian Amateur Boxing Association canceling the whole weight class. Right. And, and so and so the intensity of, 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 of that. Uh, of, of the defeats, of the pain, of, of the uh, being discouraged. Um, just when you think you had it, you won. You won the right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the ups and downs of, of, you know, two and a half years. And, and, and in being in a situation where you know that maybe never in your life may it come to fruition, but are you prepared to spend the rest of your life on something that you may never through your own eyes or through all your, 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 your physical effort that you put in, your emotional effort, your financial effort may never see to come to fruition. That's really challenging and, and, and was a never quit, uh, you know, uh, and I'm still not quitting because, because you're going to, you guys going to mm. find out how wild it is that it just six months ago, I, uh, I helped get the rules changed in England and the International Amateur Boxing Association had just tabled, uh, the beard rule internationally right now, again, 20 years removed from when I first challenged it here in Canada. Wow. And they still didn't accept it. And so I'm still fighting. In fact, I just wrote an email yesterday as we speak. And so I'm still never quitting. As difficult, man. as painful, as emotional, uh, as time consuming, as whatever it may mean and whatever else is going on in my life, uh, I'm still committing to you guys and your never quit podcast and team that I'm, I'm still not quitting. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I absolutely yeah. Let me ask you this. Let's let's start, let's go back because you know you you came to you immigrated from India to Canada when you were a small boy. When is yeah. the first recognition of of your family and the never quit mentality as it began to grow in you? Because you know it's always a debate. People are we you know we and we you know we've in, interviewed these incredible people and where it comes from, where it's, is it born into each one of us? Nurture versus nature. Yeah, Nurture absolutely. Nature, right? Can you talk a little bit about that with yourself and your family and the immigration process? For sure. And, and, you know, when you even look at that uh, piece and, you know, that's a live issue uh, with, with you guys uh, in the U S uh, and, and around the world all the time. And uh, you know, we're, we're sometimes fortunate having the passports that we have, you know, that, that it really allows us to, go to many places around the world without even thinking or contemplating. Um, and then when we have family that they can come and visit us any given time, depending on, on where you're from. And then there's other countries where 
uh, your old family can't visit unless they actually apply for the visa and the visa still gets rejected. And this is just wanting to make family, so to speak, right? And so knowing that challenge that my family had to get to just to get here, that, that uh, my dad and mom had to be separated for a number of years as my dad navigated that whole system of migration. Wow. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and coming and, and being here on his own with his brother uh, before I uh, can bring the family over. And then, uh, you know, I, I come with my mother and then we start uh, and then my sister's born afterwards. And, and here we are um, uh, putting our roots here and, and not having the most uh, warmest of welcomes. Uh, 70s was and any any given time, because I guess, you know, the people that get marginalized and get labeled the most and get hurt the most uh, in any time, even right now, when we look at that issue are, are, are the migrants, right? Yep. Uh, the new arrivals. Because somehow there's this, this power privilege dynamic that starts playing out saying, uh, you know, these people as if they're not human like us and we can't understand that we went through those pieces just 30, 40, 50 years ago, sometimes <laughs> even as a family or as a country. Right. And, 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 and no matter who, and, and you know, every community has gone through it and some then get accepted right in and some will never get accepted yet. Right. But, but, but they were never welcome. And so whether it's, 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 you know, you got Catholics and Protestants and Baptists and, and you got uh, uh, blacks or you got Chinese or you got Jewish people or, you know, Italians and the Irish and all that kind of stuff go through different narratives of, of that piece. And it was no different for our family in the seventies. And, uh, it was a catch 22 situation because the racism, uh, I remember as a young kid, my dad driving around and just a simple act of going to the gas station or going to the mall or just going about your everyday life as a Canadian or American, uh, and being taunted. Right. And and if you don't say nothing back, then you, they think you're meek and they start escalating because, hey, you're weak and we got them and you go. And then on the other hand, if you do, then it's, oh, yeah, you, you, you're fighting back against me and we'll escalate it. So you never won those battles. And, and I remember those were mm. intimidating times. Just imagine thinking just going about your everyday life as a Canadian American and thinking whether it's grocery shopping, going watching a movie, just putting gas in the car. It's an intimidating experience. And so, you know, uh, seeing and feeling and experiencing that. Um, really started to nurture in me a sense of responsibility and accountability such that <clears throat> that that never will attitude i always talk about it uh, you having the will because you can have all the brains and everything else you you can be a technical fighter you 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 can be skilled you can be in great shape and stuff but if you don't have that will mindset to actually put yourself in the ring yeah you'll never get there right and so 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 you can you can actually nurture i would say 99% of a boxer but you can't nurture the will. Yeah, that can never be. That that's only too experiential, right? That you're willing to put yourself there. I love and, it. Mm-hmm. And 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 the ones that don't necessarily experience that are the ones that are going to be more timid going in. And you can see those things and you can feel those things on an opponent. And so for me, uh, when you look at those narratives from the '70s and, and and '80s and stuff, when I then came of age and had a chance to pursue higher education, uh, pursue a professional career and stuff like that, I always made sure that it was going to be. Uh, part and parcel on the heels of me giving back, me giving back of my time, my knowledge, my experience, my uh, financial contributions, whatever I can back to my local community, uh, my greater community uh, and my country and then the world. Right. Because uh, we, I have always said with, with privilege comes responsibility. There's no denying I am marginalized in a lot of different parts of, of my life experience, even today. Uh, but I, I am also acutely aware of the privileges I have. And, and I've always said with privilege comes responsibility and, and I will never one ever be shying away from that responsibility and always looking for opportunities to make sure 
that I can engage because if, if I do it as an ally in some spaces, I can give a voice to the voiceless sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can stand in front, I can stand in behind, or I can stand beside, right? Wherever somebody needs me, because sometimes someone just needs to know, hey, I got backup, so to speak, right? So behind might be the place where I'm needed. Some might say, I need you right beside me, right? And someone else says, I need you to lead, right? And you have to be prepared to play all those roles. And uh, so for me, that that's the way I've always seen and engaged life and and the challenges that 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 that, that we as humanity have created because we are responsible right, totally. for, our, for our problems. Totally. No one else, right? Totally. <laughs> wow, Pradeep, that was, I mean, thank you for that. But can we back up just a little bit? And I want to go back to the part where I'm sure your father was a strong influence on, you know, dealing with that prejudice or racism as you're moving around, particularly for a Sikh, because you have, it's not just a skin color issue. It's a, you have external signs, which are very identifiable duty, you know, religious tr- tradition as you move about society. How did he act as an example or teach you to deal with that? which then eventually in your training, it was apparently you wanted to become a police officer. So what was his influence? How did he directly uh, instill in you, put you on the right path to handle that as a young man? Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and, and great question. And thanks because, because, because what, what I learned was uh, uh, you, ha- you have to be very strategic and intentional in so-called picking your fights, picking your battles. Mm-hmm. Right. So when to walk away, when to challenge, uh, when what to say what. And, and those are important pieces because when you are not, that's when it can be dangerous, right? When, when you just go and say, hey, no, you know what? Uh, today's the day and we have to march. You can be killed, right? Uh, uh-huh. and, and, but it's not to say that you don't go in not expecting possibly death or worst case outcome either because you can't not do this work without, uh, with any fear, right? You have to be fearless, so to speak, right? And so from dad, it was, it was learning about how, uh, what, what I call a situational uh, uh, navigation, right? Mm-hmm. That really said, hey, you know, um, there are some things where you have to take the legal uh, due course. There's other ones where you just have to stand up and you have to go out and protest and raise awareness out. There's other ones where you have to confront it as individually, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's other times where you, you just walk away because it's not the right place, the right moment. Or it's not even worth your time, right? I mean, Martin Luther King talked about in letter from Birmingham Jail. He said, you know, uh, if, I, if I spent this time responding to my critics, I would have nothing else to do because I'll just spend my time <laughs> responding to my critics, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, 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 but then there are times sometimes where you have to respond to your critics, right? Because then it might overtake. And so, you know, from my dad, it was, it was learning a lot of that uh, uh, strategy. Absolutely. And, and mm-hmm. one of the narratives, I think, and, and uh, it, was, it was a quote from, I don't remember which Kennedy, but he talked about moral courage. Yeah. Is a rarer commodity than than a great intelligence or bravery in the battlefield. Because, like you just said, yeah, you know, you you can nurture people up in the military and the police force to be brave, to give them a gun and everything else, and go into the battle and they know every day. But take them out of that uniform and take the gun away from them, and <clears throat> would they act the same way? Right. Totally. And, and and so 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 this concept of just bravery in battle or or great intelligence. Because when you look at you know the human rights, civil rights. It was not in the 60s that there was a lack of intellectual, intelligent people in the U.S. I mean, Harvard existed. If we're just using the metaphor of, you know, uh, professors, doctorates, or what have you in terms of intelligence. Higher learnings. Right, higher learnings. But did they all close down and say, we know with great intelligence this is wrong and we're going to stand up or not? Because, no, it's that moral courage, right? Exactly what you were saying, Marcus, right? Is that that piece where, where, you know, uh, you're talking about the experiences. 
comes from this concept of moral courage, right? right. Um, that, that's what separates it, too, because those people will build that up, but they can't act on it. That's why they pack up, right? You get yeah, more people yeah, around yeah, you, yeah, that's, yeah, you're, yeah. you're unable to do that. And, and that's yeah. why it's incumbent also to teach our kids. I mean, we teach them how to dress, and everybody, but you won't teach them how to defend themselves or, or interact with somebody else. And they... Kids hear and watch everything, and and if you're in a situation with your kid and something goes down and you react a certain way, and then you 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 don't explain it, and then your kid gets into it and he says the same thing you did, well, yeah, like man, I got 43 years of experience. That word, whatever <laughs> I said, there's I can back it up, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You yeah. know, what I mean? Hey, Mark, listen, I, I listen, and I got that question posed to me uh, one time. I had uh, there was a radio show go- going in, and, and it was about an incident that happened on a bus. And nobody on the bus stood up and, 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 and they said, you know, what would you do? And I said, oh, you have to. And they said, yeah, but party, what happens uh, if you got killed? Do you got kids? I go, yeah. And, and they said, yeah, but, you know, don't your kids need a father? Exactly what you're saying, Marcus, right now. I said, no, I don't want my kids to grow up and saying, hey, dad, you're a punk. You're a chicken. Why didn't you stand up? Right? I'd rather them if I'm passed away and I got killed and that saying, yeah, my dad stood up and I'll, I'm also always willing to stand up, right? Because, like you said, it's that example, right? And, yeah, and they, the kids show you the, it's, that's the, the thing. Because if you don't do it, then they see what happens, then they live their life in fear, yeah. right? That, that's a, that's a, supposed to happen, which. Uh, Another thing with experience in life, you realize when someone's just bumping their gun, and when you get more proficient at, f- at defending yourself and what, what we're good at, you understand who's just all bark and no bite, and then how it escalates. <laughs> and what a most people who are, are bullies and picking on, they're getting bullied at home, right? And and it just kind of yeah. the explanation to our children that's that's real important, man, because all the doors are shut. They're the next version of us, but just as we go through life, you know, they'll, they'll walk in a certain hallway and be like, all right, these doors are difficult. This one's going to be, and yeah, when you sure. open them up, man, you, that's the beautiful part about being the parents. You can apply the pressure on, on them and pull it off, right? Absolutely. And explain Absolutely. it. But if you don't do that, when they go out, they'll get into some pressure that won't come off and then it's, mm. it can go bad. And, and, and you, and you know, that dilemma we have in society as helicopter parents, right? And, and in fact, the playgrounds, in fact, there's a study that just came out uh, from England about a month ago. It said, Playgrounds are too safe. Yeah, they're not yeah. even engaging kids to even nurture on their own that concept of risk or risk taking. Yeah, exactly what that. you're talking about, right? Yeah, and and mm-hmm. same thing with parents. We also well now we're telling them don't climb fences, and and yet it's it's like no, I need them to climb fences, <laughs> fall, hurt, knowing how they could navigate it. Uh, because you know, for us playing uh, football here uh, over the winter, we got to climb the fences that the cities have put up so we can't play, and we got young kids who know how to do it on the computer. But don't know how to do it in real life. Right? Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't so. be helicopter parents. It should be stunt parent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? That's oh, where they are. Sure. I'll get hurt for you. And, 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 <laughs> and, and I'm, getting, I'm getting blasted by, by my friends and colleagues who are parents when I'm going, uh, yeah, when you come over to the house, yeah, let the kids go. They're going, you let your kids go out? I go, it's my neighborhood. I go, never as long as I live here has a kid ever been hit by a car, ever been abducted or any of that stuff. And, and, it's, and, and we're actually a safer community and society. Right. Yet we are putting more and more of these these, you know, bubble around our kids and, and, and they're losing that just the, almost what you call sometimes innate ability right. to take on risk or try risk or what have you. Well, your, your neighbor just just laid it right out there. Like you, when you say something like that, that means you don't know who's in your neighborhood. I mean, your parents are yeah. being social and figuring out. I mean, we live as a community supposed to live together. So when you know your kids outside, you know what's out there with him. Absolutely. Get to know your neighbors. (laughs) All right. Let's, let's fuse this, this nurturing influence with you to where you're, you know, you had gotten, you know, 
really into sport in your life because that was the great equalizer, right? In sport, n- nothing matters. The only thing that matters is the work ethic and, and the ability to perform under pressure. But you got injured and you moved into boxing. And really, I think that's where you know this new pathway for you evolved. Can you walk us through that process of coming to boxing and then as this you know, this moral battle faced you yeah. in, in its lit- most literal sense in the boxing ring. Can yeah. you walk us through that, please? Sure, yeah. And so as you said, you know, I was a, 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 an athlete playing multi-sport athlete, winning championships in, in, in tennis. I wrestled in high school. And um, it was a time where I was still playing very competitive soccer and I had my legs taken under uh, from me, taken out. And I ended up almost doing a complete cartwheel flip and landing on, on one arm, which blew my shoulder and, and having to get surgery mm. on my shoulder. And the timing of that surgery was when I was just accepted into Pure Regional Police Force here in Villa Constable. And the training was mandatory, so I couldn't skip anything. And so I didn't do any rehab. And uh, the police training finishes. And um, two physiques I would always love to emulate. Boxers. And a gymnast. I mean, you look at the upper body yeah. strength. You look at any Olympic yeah. games and, and, and gymnast boxers, uh, gymnasts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. They're, what they can do and their upper body strength and total body strength is just phenomenal. But the reality of my age at that moment and what I was going to do, uh, boxing, I thought. And so I stepped into boxing uh, gym and, and people wondering why. And it was completely to heal an injury, right? Mm-hmm. And to do rehab. And what people don't realize is the core training of boxing, uh, especially like you said, you know, on our speed round bag there. Uh, that works your upper body, your shoulder strength and stuff. You know, even shadow boxing with little hand weights and stuff like that built arm, shoulder strength, mm-hmm. pad work and all the rest of it. And so I actually entered the, the boxing gym to heal an injury. But you know what? It's like me coming into your studio and I can't just sit around. I got to get onto one of those mics if I'm around the studio, right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're in a boxing ring and through the corner of your uh, – you're in a boxing gym and through the corner, yeah, you see this ring. I mean, which – who wouldn't want to say, well, I got to get in there one day? Yeah. You know what I mean? I got to test myself there. Exactly, Mark, what we've been talking about. You know what I mean? I'm one of those things. Yeah, yeah, I got to be there. And and it's just funny because just randomly one day, uh, a fellow boxer, uh, you know, I was just training. Uh, and they said, hey, you know, are you ever going to box, right? Like as in pull out, compete, right? Not just do some sparring in the ring. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, right? It was never even a question. And he said, you know, you have to shave that. And and pretty much when when he kind of, you know, gestured upwards, uh, I knew exactly what he was talking about because the only thing you can physically externally see uh, was my beard and mustache. Right. And I said, oh, really? And I, I didn't say much of it. I said, oh, okay, we'll see. I just said we'll see more like, you know, yeah. in passing. At the end of uh, that day uh, at the gym, I went to my coach, uh, with Fraser, and I said, hey, Dwight, I go, any rules against beards? He goes, I'm not sure. Let's check it out, right? So we opened up the rule book, and lo and behold, Here's, uh, as part of the rules and regulations says, uh, boxers must present themselves, mustaches allowed, must be trimmed, sideburns are allowed, but beards are prohibited. And then I said, hey, Dwight, I guess our first fight is going to be outside of the ring because I got to get these rules changed in order to, to, to box, right? right? And that started this big, crazy, crazy journey where, like I said, even my life was threatened and stuff like that for, for it to come to fruition. And it had its ups and downs because uh, I was first denied a boxing interior. I said, go to Boxing Canada. I went to Boxing Canada. They defeated the motion 9-6. to six. I thought I had some momentum, but uh, I had to go back to Boxing Ontario, file Ontario Human Rights Complaint. We won it. I won the Provincial Novice Championship. I was representing Ontario. Got to the Nationals. They disqualified me. 
as it disqualified me, I had lawyers uh, in court who actually won an injunction and got, uh, got me the right to compete, got the right. They ended up canceling weight class. My life was threatened, had to go back to court again. It just became a nightmare and a half. And like I said, I'm still <laughs> battling that issue internationally. So. What, what's crazy you to me... I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. You want to explain why the beard's the, an issue? <laughs> well, here's the funniest part. I can't because it isn't an issue. And every single mixed martial art and combat sport allows beards. And in fact, the International Armature Boxing Association, uh, the, the, what they framed, how they framed their defense, which Canadian Amateur Boxing Association used, was that in an event of a clinch, that particles of hair from my uh, can cause abrasions to my opponent's cornea. So, in layman's terms, my beard particle, my beard can scratch my opponent's uh, eyes. And I laughed because I said, are you, "Are you kidding me? First of all, you don't clinch, just like you don't bite." And Mike Tyson knows about not biting. And 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 but but yet the, the sport where you're supposed to clinch, like wrestling, wants beards, full beards, in fact, because they're lighter, softer, and stuff like that, right? And so it was funny. Because mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been saying, even boxing allows beards. It's just amateur boxing doesn't. Because look at look at uh, Conor McGregor and Mayweather yeah. fight. And Conor McGregor is not even a Sikh, right? And he had a bigger beard than me, right? And and he boxed. And so and so there was no justification. And in fact, the more I researched it, the origins of the boxing rule was strictly aesthetics from the old British King's Order rule. Yeah, that's right. How does the boxer present themselves? And, and you'd be surprised huh. to know that that was the exact same rule written in the exact same wording. In policing, and, and in Canada, police officers were allowed to present themselves in public with the mustache, must be trimmed, sideburns, no beard, until they did a work to rule, and and heavily within the military and stuff. And then afterwards, they start making other exemptions up. Oh, it might be like you know in the U.S. military thing, I mean, maybe with the gas masks. Is that no? Because we had Sikh soldiers in World War One, uh, first time chemical gas was used, having uh, gas masks and stuff. And so th- there's no justification. It was an arbitrary, capricious aesthetic rule, and they've just been. Ho- ho- you know, keeping their heads down, buried in in in, in the dirt and in mud and the ground, to still uphold something that has no health and safety issue whatsoever. It hasn't historically. It doesn't present, and it won't going forward. And it's wild because now uh, amateur boxing has even uh, removed the headgear, all right, in the Olympics and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so if I'm looking at you guys and we're boxing, what has a better chance of getting in your eyes? The hair on the top of my head or my beard because we're supposed to have our chin in. If I box around with my chin out, you know I'll be on the canvas, right? And Two I'll seconds. have that Muhammad Ali look right. over me, right? So yep. he's staring me down, right? So, <laughs> yeah, no, it never, it never had any justification. One of the things I find when I hear about the story, and you, you went through it incredibly fast. I mean, there are so many different facets of it. One, your boxing is, you're, you're, you know, you're winning. So you're, the skill, your skill is amazing. You're responding to the coaching in a profound way. You're earning your right. Um, your, you know, your opponents, they, they don't care what, what you look like or anything. They just want to fight the best. And, you know, you're and and when in your mind, did you begin to feel that this was more than just uh, uh, resistance against a particular old rule and more about potentially who you were and what you represented in your, your, your religious background, where you were from. Oh, I knew that probably as soon as I went to the Amateur Boxing Association to table the motion, because I, at that time, actually I was working in public health and I had a, 
I went to the chief medical officer of health uh, for, for, for the region where, where, where I worked to ask him in his best medical opinion, any reason that I should be aware of, you know, as I'm pursuing this. And it was interesting because you won't believe this, but they actually tried to flip the script just before they did the vote. And I had one of the representatives saying, no, party, you know what? It's an unfair advantage for you. Oh my it actually gosh. pushes the flow. <laughs> well, seriously. And I said, are you serious? I go, I go, just take your knuckles and just knock on your head a little bit. Just, first of all, to see if anything's there. The second of all, see how much cushion it does, right? Because it, it does nothing to cushion, right? But I said, hey, great. I will accept that argument, in fact, and do me a favor then. Because every year you get together to find out how you're going to make the sport safer, right? Why don't you make it right now? You have a mandatory no beer. Right. And I don't know what you can do about female boxers because, you know, bo women are allowed to box now yeah. too, right? But, but do that. But no, I knew right away because once I presented everything and we, and, and we even had images of, of Lennox Lewis fighting with a beard and everything else that, mm -hmm. you know, there was no grounds for it. And the only thing that can justify them holding on to that exactly what you said is who I am and the faith that I represent. And somehow not seeing me as a fellow uh, Canadian uh, who happens to be of a different faith, and so the racism and discrimination was obvious at that point. And 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 yeah, because it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's you're a fellow combatant, a boxer, a pugilist. I mean, we're not when you step, we're pulling all that away when you step. Yeah. Not in, in the, I don't mean it like that, but you don't. Yeah. You shouldn't. You're not supposed. You're looking at the wrong part. I'm. I'm here yeah, as a yeah. fighter. Yeah. Over <laughs> here, my fist. My fist is what you should be worried about if I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And make up new rules, right. knocking people out, right? And like you said, uh, uh, you know, and and that was an interesting piece of part of the journey that I never spoke about. That the other piece was on the one hand, it may never been through my lifetime, like I shared earlier. But on the other hand, it could have happened any day, and I had to be ready when the call came. To say yes, party, you have won the right. Go box. I need to be not only ready better ready right. you know because now now all eyes were on me absolutely one of the uh, all right so oh, oh yeah you're i'm sorry no go for it the fact that you're winning is absolutely helping that you know what i mean because yeah, yeah. if, if it's the other yeah. way around then you'd just be complaining yeah yeah, yeah, yeah wow sure. <laughs> all right let's let's pivot a little bit and marcus was i think alluding to it in some capacity with your religion and the the world view of of Sikhs and and you know we talked a little bit about the warrior um, just a, is it it's sick is, how do you pronounce it yeah so 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 anglicized it they say Sikh but in terms of from from the way we pronounce it it's sick yeah S-I-K-A sorry about yeah. that um, no, not, not a problem so we talk about you know we always and we are very aware of the 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 warrior background but it's more than just being, you know, the the traditional sense of warrior. It's the metaphorical warrior for existence and for equality. Yeah. Can you Absolutely. dig into the, the that aspect of it so our listeners can truly understand why you're so passionate about doing what you're doing? Yeah, and and so yeah, and and you know, because the the Sikh faith is not a path uh, passive uh, faith, right? Uh, it, 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 it's an accountable faith. And the reason why you would see, and, and, and I'll give, you know, the majority of your listeners, if, if they're listening from, 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 you know, England, the U.S., Canada, and around this area, 99.9% .9 of the people you can see in public who are wearing a turban are sick, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes, people, even in the Bible, the, the word turban is mentioned. And, you know, in the Middle East, people wear it uh, for aesthetic uh, reason, just like people wear baseball caps around, uh, you know, in, in, in the summertime for heat and stuff like that in the U.S. and Canada. 
and and uh, but from a religious spiritual perspective, the the Sikh faith uh, are the only people who wear uh, the turban as part of article of faith. And the reason being is uh, twofold. Uh, I, I I shared this piece of ground that it's not passive, it's active. But being active, how do how am I held publicly accountable? Mm. And and now without asking either one of you necessarily. Uh, if you are, are, are people of faith, what is your faith? Or are, are you atheist? Or are you uh, indigenous spirituality? Um, we have this visible identifier publicly that you can hold us accountable. It's like holding a police officer accountable. If I'm not in uniform, you don't know I'm a police officer. You can only hold me accountable mm. to a lay citizen standard. If I'm in a police uniform, you have a different level of, of, of expectation and standard right. of, uh, that you can hold me accountable for. And that's because somewhere in your life you learned about this uniform represents this concept to serve and protect. And for the Sikh community uh, and, and Sikh people, uh, that is our obligation to serve and protect. And serve and protect means we protect human rights, we protect human life, we protect human dignity, and we serve. We serve uh, the less fortunate, the marginalized, um, and we look out for the welfare of, of, of all. And so when if you were to walk into a, a Sikh place of worship, which is commonly referred to as a gurdwara, uh, you will you will see some interesting things that that, that are going on. We ha- we have uh, uh, what we call a communal kitchen. It's open to anybody in the public awesome. uh, to serve uh, anybody uh, from any faith, any creed. And and it's interesting because when I talk about these concepts of equality, over 500 years ago, the founding of our faith had said all are equal. And so whether you're a king or a peasant, uh, a street sweeper, a laborer, a uh, homeless, that you'll all can come, you will all can sit equally, and you'll all be served. There's no hierarchy. Uh, in service and being served, mm. and uh, you will all be treated equally. And whether you were you were uh, 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 um, of a different race uh, or a different gender, uh, that you can all participate. And so, the equality for for women to be part of service, uh, for for racialized, for 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 any one of those dimensions, whether you're differently abled, LGBTQ, whatever it may mean. And so, not only did did, did the faith, in fact, we actually uh, uh, write in our faith scripture had given equality to women to say, who are we to denounce those for which so-called the king of kings are born, mm-hmm. right? How do we say that we're, uh, uh, you know, superior ones, inferior and stuff? And then they institutionalize those concepts because it's one thing to have those spiritually written and, and codified. Mm. It's another thing to institutionalize those pieces. And so as right. part of our practice, as part of our, our, our theological and religious practice and the way we uh, conduct ourselves, uh, um, is to to serve and protect and 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 so we will fight and defend the practice of faiths to practice even though we may not agree with all the faith principles of people and so it requires an active and so having the turban on and having the articles of faith uh, gives us both a, a, a personal accountability to to the faith but a public accountability to hold us publicly accountable and you know one of the metaphors that uh, one of the founders of the faith uh, Guru Gobind Singh said he said you know in in, in a crowd of a million. Uh, I want to be able to identify my people, my followers. And, you know, I, I ran the Walt Disney World Marathon. I, one time <laughs> a colleague told another friend, hey, I have a friend running the marathon. If you see him, say hi. And here we are, uh, race kit day, 30, 40,000 there in, in, in Florida trying to pick up the thing. And somebody comes and knocks on my shoulder and said, hey, you party. And I kind of looked around saying, oh, how did you guess kind of thing. And then I realized, Oh, it's easy to guess. I was the only one with turban to seek gentlemen in 40,000. <laughs> <laughs> so advantages that way, right? Um, oh, but, that's awesome. But, but, but that was that piece because, you know, that back to that metaphor I was using as, as a police officer, 
uh, that, you know, when a police officer is running, you run the same way because you don't ask. You don't got the time to ask why. You, you just know that's the right thing, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and equally, to be able to identify it means I don't have the time to ask you where do you stand on this position or what you should have done. This is just the public accountability. And equally, in fact, under my top that I'm wearing today, just by coincidence, I'm wearing a, a, a T-shirt, and it says 125000 on there. And uh, that's another metaphor used for us spiritually because uh, it means savalak. Uh, in terms of 125,000. And we individually are supposed to see ourselves as the equivalent of 125,000 people. Wow. Right? Both in courage and faith and determination and accountability. And so, so that, hmm. you know, it's, it's that kind of nurturing and, and, and stuff in, in, in our faith that allows us to go uh, where there's danger, where there's trouble, where there's people to serve, that we run for those opportunities. Right? And, and, and we put ourselves out there and we put ourselves uh, and, and our life uh, on the line all the time, every day. Wow. We don't, it's not like this uniform where you take it off on shift. This is my permanent shift. And combined with that and why it's important to share some of this pieces is because uh, as some people start learning and, you know, sometimes I'll just be speaking at school or university as a panelist and something, oh my God, party, if your faith makes you put on that turban and, you know, and, and you can't drink and you can't have fun. I go, have fun? I mean, with you guys, I'm just having fun on, totally. on, on being on a podcast. Totally. I have too much fun in life, right? <laughs> uh, th- here's here's an easy qu- answer for me. Uh, you know, as an officer, are you allowed to be drunk or can you can you drink on the job? No. Why? Because you never know when the call for service is going to come, right? People say, hey, well, part of, you know what? I, just at home, I get plastered. I'm sleeping at night. And I said, yeah, but you don't know if there's going to be a knock on your door for somebody needing help. Uh, I can see, I can be a hard sleeper, but if I'm needed and I wake up, I can still serve. We're not being in that position because you never know when it's going to come. So I said, it's just consistent with who I am. And so mm. that's why I don't drink, right? I don't, right. I'm not in the state of, for lack of a better word, intoxication, because that's really the point that from a spiritual perspective where they're asking us not to get to, right? And um, having fun, having way too much fun. And, and when I said it gives me a sense of purpose and commitment, listen, we, we, the North here, Toronto Raptors, where I'm wearing a jersey, I go and buy a jersey and put it on me because I want to represent something. I want to represent the North. Represent <laughs> That's the awesome. And, and, and so this turban <laughs> and identity is representing to serve and to protect and holding me publicly accountable, right? So, uh, no, it, it, I, I enjoy my, my, my faith. And, and, and as I grow more spiritually, it, it allows me to uh, enjoy other uh, people and their spirituality or non-spirituality and their positions in life uh, even better. Awesome. That was oh, really interesting. Well, that, thank, I mean, that's fascinating you. right there. Man. That, infectious. Yeah, it is. You can feel it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> before we wrap up and, and, and get everybody to understand what it is you're doing now and where they can find the movie and follow the museum, uh, can you fi- finish on giving our, our listeners a couple words of wisdom about that never quit moment and, and, and really to stay in the fight? Regardless of how long the fight actually is, because we all know the fight is never ending, but to to really, you know, get focused and to be, you know, to develop that grit and that will power that you were talking about, that will to, to stay in and to sacrifice for the fight. Can you talk to our listeners and how they can conjure that a bit? Oh, for sure. And, and I think one of the best metaphors I always use is, you know, you, you just take the concept of the ring or, or, or a square and, and I tell people, go in, go into the battle. And when you step out, next time go in and go in a little bit longer. And when you step out, because I said every single time you step out, a privilege affords you to step out, whatever it is, even if it's your own battle or you're battling on behalf as an ally for somebody else. 
you know, when we do that polar bear dip for many years, it was for Habitat for Humanity, uh, Toronto, and homelessness. And I always told people when they're always anxious and scared to jump in and it's too cold. And I said, oh, I didn't know charity was dependent on temperature for you, right? Mm-hmm. But I said, think about this. I said, those people we're jumping in for, uh, I said, they don't got the privilege to say it's too cold to be homeless today, right? That ring, that box, that's their reality. Yeah. And so, huh. so I, you know, what I continue to tell people is that, that, that I get you might step out and I can step out of not having to do that because a privilege affords me to uh, not to be homeless. But knowing that the longer I, I, I go in and the more I step in and the longer I step in, that one day I'll just be there. And, 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 and like, like Nelson Mandela said, because uh, again, it's how you internalize it. You can, you can make it tough on you and can say, you know, my life is a battle. Or you can say the battle is my life. Yeah. Right. So you now own it. Right. It's not owning you. Right. And, and, and so going in there and a little bit longer to the point where, no, this is it. Right. And you just stay there. Yeah. Right. And you're comfortable there and, and, and you're dodging and you're sliding just like that boxing metaphor. You know what I mean? Things are coming your way and you're knowing how to navigate, you're knowing how to counter and everything else until you get that knockout. And then even then you don't quit because then there's the next fight, the next fight. That's why I love this. This never quit. It's like, oh, yeah, because this stuff never ends for us, right? So Yeah, it's a competition. It's a fight. And that's why there's one title for one guy. It's not a mutual uh, deal. And you can't step into half of it, right? You can't, I was like, no. oh, I'm going to do this life, but only the good parts. I mean, no, nah, that's not how that works, man, because when you get the bad ones, it'll shove you right out of it. So Absolutely, right? And and, and, and speaking about that piece, then this is where my, uh, you, you know, Ric Flair metaphor comes in, right? He goes, <laughs> you know, one, be, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to be the man, you got to beat the man. And being the man and staying the man are two different things, he said, right? Because like you said, it's one up there, right? And it's just that <laughs> one. And, and so how do you so-called stay Stay in the fight. Stay in that battle. Be the one, right? And you really gotta remember the hunger. Right? Remember the hunger you had when you started the climb to become the man. Once you, be- yeah, once yeah. you just like, oh, I'm the man. Well, then all them dudes that want that are, are chasing, and <laughs> they they're only it. training for you. They're just yeah, training absolutely. for you, right? And they- absolutely. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, party, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Uh, where can people find the movie, follow you, pay attention to what you're doing within human rights, uh, the museum? Just give us a rundown on where our listeners can go. Yeah, so uh, with respect to the movie, it's, it's, it's been in cinemas and, and we're moving it uh, out from cinemas for a little while and going to be pushing it uh, through a lot of school-based programming and stuff. Then we'll probably be looking at uh, uh, other mediums and platforms like Netflix and other pieces like that. And then I think we're going to be bringing it back in uh, for, for a second piece through some theaters. We're looking at moving it to some other places, too, because we predominantly have done North America. Um, so there's going to be a lot of opportunities going forward around the movie piece itself. With respect to me, it's very simple. My name, Pardeep.ca for Canada. It's where they can find me and, and get in contact with me and learn a little bit about my life and my musings and my interests and things that I'm passionate about and will continue to be for the rest of my life. And I'm the executive director of the Sikh Heritage Museum of Canada. Um, and the website for that is just shmc.ca. Um, and so we'll continue to do a lot of work around that piece itself. And, um, you know, I want to say to you guys, um, uh, from the wizard onwards, um, thank you very much for the opportunity. I, 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 I always, um, uh, am blessed to, to be able to engage in, in great conversation like we had today. And, and, uh, uh, the, the invitation is open to, to everybody as part of your team and staff and your families and friends to come up to Toronto, uh, contact me anytime if you want to do it that, that, uh, 
after you, you know, Mark, you and your family is already going to be having one up on me because you've already done it just be, the pre pre Christmas piece there itself. So you guys are <laughs> treating, right? I mean, it'll be a walk in the park, so to speak, right? I mean, you might come with, uh, with 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 your umbrellas, thinking, you know, this is just sunshine stuff that you're doing now, right? So, but, but anytime you're in Toronto, uh, touch base with me, connect, and and I'll love to host you guys and and share some more life experiences. Uh, lots of fun stuff for charity here. The climbing the stairs of the CN Tower is a fun thing to do, and Anything that tickles your fancy, and uh, by all means, uh, keep me in mind uh, all the time, please. And if I can ever be of support to you guys for anything you're doing out in the States or anywhere else around the world, keep me in, uh, in mind as well because uh, uh, I'll love to uh, pay you guys back. You got Amen. Thank well, you so thank much, you man. Well, thank you so it's much. It's been a pleasure party. talking yeah, to you. Yeah, a real pleasure. I mean, you, are, you are a true warrior for Absolutely. every aspect of humanity, and uh, we just appreciate you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you very much, guys. Take care. All right, all right, Marcus, Pardeep. You know, one of the things I I love about him, not only just that, you know, he's so connected to his faith, but that bigger sense of being a warrior for human rights, right? I love that. But man, his energy in doing it. He's not fatalistic whatsoever. He doesn't talk about it with disdain. He's not, he's not, he doesn't look at it as this lost battle or or victimization or whatsoever, man. He's like, no, this is, this is what I signed up for. This is what I believe in. And and it's worth every second of it. Um, Truly who he is makes up the whole component. And uh, you got to hand it to the, the, Back in the day when they were writing all this out, the ethos is what to follow, and they would—I mean, somehow, some way—knew that when you dress like this, you're going to get, ha- you're going to play havoc back and forth with people judging you about it. And this—that's one of the primary tests—is to see you stand in your faith while you're getting criticized. And you know, people, people wear the all kinds of emblems to represent their their religious beliefs. Well, I got Most it. everybody I got has it. something yeah, on. Yeah. A lot of people don't even know what they mean, or or they have a misconception of what they mean, or they're. You don't understand that type of religion, right? You don't ever judge anybody by it. Well, I mean, I, I talk about, like, I, I tattooed a cross on my bicep, right? I know your tattoos, they, there's some Everyone stuff there, yeah, you know? And and so being overt in your faith, you know, is is a challenge in and of itself, especially depending upon where you're from or what's going on. And you look at, you know, the early times of, of Sikhism, and, man, there was these battles they had when always Islam tried to Boy, eradicate them. Yeah, they're warriors. warriors. And, oh, that's, and out of everything that we found out and the way he explained it and then, doing, then researching it, up until this point, man, I had always, that's the one thing I, I know I'm harping on it, man, but I always heard that with respect, too. I mean, anybody was always telling me about, about one of them, man. Well, yeah. they got the blade in their belt, man. Yeah. They, I mean, they're full tilt in that mindset, but... I love how he takes his faith and what he experienced through his father. And great question again, wizard from you. And and you see him, but he lives it out. He lives this metaphor overtly. What so many of us are fighting the internal battles of never quit, but he he has it on his exterior, in his appearance, in his attitude, and in this fight against the junior boxing commissions. There's a lot of misconception that it means evil. 
and people judge that off of just a disdosh or the, the hat and the beard, and you know, they get kind of skittish, if you will, right? Just because of that, and, and we've been fighting a war for twenty years, and the only time you kind of their first reference to it was the people who attacked us. But right before and up to that point, man, they're good people. They're they're there to help everybody else. It's funny how the times kind of dictate our emotions towards a a, a a given body of people. Well, that's just rooted in flat-out ignorance. In fact, that just made me remember there's a movie, I think it's called The International. It's uh, about a bank robbery. And um, yeah. Denzel Washington's in it, right? <laughs> and the cops have, rop- have wrapped up a guy they think is Muslim. He's a sick too, he's right? <laughs> and he's sitting there explaining. <laughs> I think he actually says, you ignorant motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm, I'm Sikh. I'm Sikh. <laughs> But anyways, um, that and I just, in my opinion, I, I will never understand just blatant institutional racism and how just foolish, ignorant, disgusting, disturbing that whole thing is. But his quote, I, I wanted to, he didn't quite finish it. And um, the, his Kennedy quote from Robert Kennedy that was, uh, moral courage is a rarer commodity than bravery in battle or great intelligence. Yet it is one essential, vital quality for those who seek to change a world that yields most painfully to change. Um, I think that's, that really characterizes the bulk of his story and a lot of the value here is that moral courage, the desire to do what's right. And it is not to be underestimated the difficulty of, of maintaining a moral compass, the emotional intelligence, the self-control it, would, it takes to exist in the face of people who just don't like you. People who are bigoted against you and got to give him a lot of credit because, and his infectious energy that he carries forward, you know, that is a, in my opinion, a rare combination to be able to have gone through, have gone through everything he's gone through, maintain this obviously outward, you know, positive energy and outlook on life. Amen to that, brother. What a great representative of his religious culture as well. I, mean, I was just thinking that. Good time yeah. hanging out with a whole bunch of them. I mean, what a great representative, <laughs> ambassador for that culture. Well, he's a badass, too. So while he's whipping your ass in the boxing ring, he's being real nice to you. It's got to be good. <laughs> it's even worse, <laughs> trip, right? He's like, oh, it's going to hurt. You okay? This is going to hurt any worse. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I just I think you're right. That moral courage that he walks every day. And, and, you know, I mean, look at the fact that he's the executive director for the Sick Heritage Museum. I mean, he's really taking this mentality, and you're right. He is a true ambassador for this on a world stage. And, and what, better, what better way than to, you know, carry the metaphor with boxing itself? And it's just, it all, it, it's tied together in such it's a very awesome well packaged, way. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah, it's awesome. It really he's is. He's the personality with teeth. Yep. Absolutely. He's the tiger. He's the tiger. I I dig it, man. If you are joining us, if you have elevated your moral courage to join us, we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for our other listeners that uh, continue to follow us, to continue to go down this never-quit journey with us and our fantastic guests. Uh, We're so stoked. Uh, All right. If you want to know more about us and why we do what we do, just visit our website at tnqpodcast.com, right, where you can download all the shows along with every other place you can find podcasts at Apple Podcasts, iTunes, 
CastBox. We we are finally streaming on Spotify, Stitcher, and all other podcast platforms. All you got to do is just uh, go to the search device, search mechanism on your search <laughs> engine. What are you laughing? What are you the laughing thing, at? The, the thing. The, 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 the hourglass. The, the spyglass. The thing. That thing. The mechanism of <laughs> search. The hourglass. Type in team. We'll be the first one that pops up there. So you can download us, subscribe to us, have us in your ears, in your head, morning, noon, and night while you're working out, while you're PTing, while you're driving to work, while you're coming home, while you're at work. Or better yet, when you're in the greatest struggle of your life and your never quit moment is at your, is inside the ring you're facing, man, we will be that bell that gets you fighting. All right. Now, also, we've got merch, 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 merch. Go find hats and T-shirts and all the other swag. Go check out the new shirts. Go check out the new shirts. We love them. Super cool. And the hats. Uh, also, if you want to follow us and pay attention to what our never quit moments, the never quit moments of our, our, our guests, you can follow the podcast at TNQ Podcast. You can follow our team at Team Never Quit. Follow Marcus at Marcus Luttrell, the Wizard at the Wizard TNQ, and me at Team Frog Logic. Our favorite part of the website and and our and our favorite part of doing the show is the listeners. And one of the greatest aspects we have, and we've so uh, we we've really asked our listeners to ex- extend their moral courage by sharing their great never quit stories with us and our team to become members of of the team never quit clan or tribe if you will uh on the website where we have literally hundreds of submissions uh and have created this great uh collective this great place this catalog of never quit stories so when we always like to finish the show with that so this one is from zach First off, thank you guys for the TNQ podcast and your service to this amazing country. I started listening to your podcast this past week, and I've been bringing it on for a while at work. I love the guests you have. I love the guests you've had on and their diversity as well. My girlfriend and I started a podcast over the winter so I can appreciate how much of a pain in the ass it is to produce, edit, and schedule guests. I have had no formal training on editing anything, on editing anything, so it's been a never-quit story learning that in and of itself. And, and I just want to take a break and say thank you, Wizard, for all the thousands of hours that you've invested in making the big guy over there and me look and sound pretty good and our guests man we appreciate you because that in and of itself is monumental so thank you i appreciate that but it's been my blessing to listen the thousands of hours of you guys talking (laughs) (laughs) i love you oh that's epic and it just gets amplified the more time I spend listening uh, to you talk. I think you're getting crazier. Yeah, that's why he's like crazy. Look at those fish. We go down in rabbit holes. He's like, enough. 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 Stop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Not today. And Hall, about face. All right. Back to Zach. Sorry, Zach. On a serious note, I've been debating on sending my story in because I don't feel like it is anything hard compared to the stories 
you have read on the episodes I have listened to. The more I have thought about it, the more I thought that maybe it could help at least one person. When I was a senior in high school, my mom was on her was in her own world, going through a divorce and struggling with alcoholism. I had a ton of credits to make up that year and was trying to get my my shit together and to get out of the partying group of friends I had prior. Two Marine cruders came to my school, told me I looked like I wanted to be a sniper, and acted impressed at my ability to do pull-ups. I decided that's what I wanted to do in life and work my ass off to get my GPA up and make sure I would graduate. During that process, my mother and I had a falling out, and I stopped talking to her entirely. I couldn't handle the drunk calls, misguided guilt from her divorce, and watching her and my stepdad fight constantly. After I graduated, I talked to the recruiter again and had plans to take the ASVAB. Before I took the test, I received a call from my mom's new boyfriend who informed me that she was in the hospital and the doctor gave her 18 to 24 months to live. She had cirrhosis of the liver from alcoholism and there wasn't a very good chance to get for her to get a liver transplant. I decided to focus on rebuilding my relationship with my mom and holding off and listening. The Marine recruiters were less than happy to hear about this. I could tell by the way the sergeant came into my job and accidentally broke the table I was working at when he knife handed it. <laughs> the old blade hand. Over that time, there were many ups and downs, weeks of sobriety and weeks of binge drinking. Her boyfriend was not helpful to her situation, but a necessary evil as she was extremely depressed and she brought her and he brought her some glimpses of happiness. I took care of her financially when needed and turned her turned into a pay, turned into a parent for dozens of bad choices she made while drinking. She ended up living almost three years, and I grew up very fast in that time. On July 4, 2011, she went into a coma. Her kidneys shut down. Her liver was failing. She was on three medications for her heart and a respirator as well to assist her breathing. The next day, she started to squeeze my finger, wiggle her nose, feet, and her eyes would move towards me when I would tell her that I loved her. On July 6th, I received a call from the hospital at 0500 saying she crashed and I needed to get to hospital immediately. I met with multiple specialists, doctors, nurses, and medical assistants who all told me there was a 50-50 chance that she may pull out of it. I knew that realistically... There was a chance of brain damage. Her liver would most likely fail during coma and her kidneys would possibly recover, but 30% at 30%, but still didn't seem likely as the power of attorney at 21 years old. I had to make the decision to take her off life support. About three months before that, my aunt went into a diabetic coma when they pulled the plug on her it took about 10 minutes for her to pass away. It was not like the movies at all. She gasped for air. Her body tensed as she struggled, struggled to breathe. It was the first time I watched someone die right in front of me. Because of that, I asked the doctors to give my mom enough morphine to make her passing as fast and painless as possible. For my mother, it only took about one minute for her to pass away. 
It seemed painless and quick. I was extremely relieved. Within two months of her passing, my two cousins, my two cousins passed away as well. One from a battle of breast cancer. The other was a passenger in a drunk driving accident. Just before my mom passed away, the girlfriend I had had all through my mom's sickness broke up with me. It was not my best summer, but I kept focused on what was at hand. Before my mom passed, I started a small lawn care business. I was happy to have done that and lucky to see her proud of the growth I had before I had for the short period she saw. I was working a full-time job and also growing the business I started. I would work 12 to 14 hour days, then would go to the gym after work to get my head straight. I was extremely busy and did not have any time to stop and think about what happened that year. Winter came around and I was down to just working my full-time job once I slowed down. Everything began to catch up to me. All the guilt, anger, sadness, all the questions I had and realizing that the last time I talked to my mom, we got into an argument. My last words with her was a bitter, half-genuine, I love you too. I began drinking more and more, partying to numb myself and distract the negative thought that I had. I was drinking every night after the gym and spending, and spending all the money I had made that I was planning on investing into my business on alcohol. One night after the gym, I called my friends to go get drunk. Everyone was busy. So I had a beer and started it and stayed at home. I began to drink, think about taking my mom off life support. All what light, all, all what ifs and should haves. I grabbed the 1968 Colt Diamondback 38 special that my mom had given me before she died. I stared at it thinking about her. All the things I could have done differently about my ex and about how I thought I could never live without her. I pulled the hammer back thinking... What would happen if I killed myself? And how would it matter to anyone? As I started to raise the gun to my head, I realized I didn't want my dad to find me. We were on bad terms, and I would never want him to be the one who found me. So I decided I would drive up the canyon and call 911 before I did it. As I started to drive away from my house, the adrenaline started to wear off, and it hit me like a freight train. I turned around and went home. The next morning, I woke up and told myself that no matter what, I would, I would never let myself get to that point again. I stopped drinking and focused on bodybuilding to keep myself out of that hole. Within the years to come, I never enlisted. I had more trials and tribulations, re relationships, more deaths in my family, and business problems that are normal but feel like the weight, or the, the weight will crush you. I never felt accomplished or that I was doing anything to actually help the people around me or better this world. I wanted to give up again. I still had guilt from my mom in another failed relationship. I was struggling with day-to-day -day life. I hated the rut I was in. I finished work and received a call from someone very close to me. He was crying and hysterically telling me I needed to get to his parents' house, that his mom sent a weird text and he thinks she may try and commit suicide. I drove as fast as I could. I was the first one there to find his mom unconscious in her bed. I shook her and called her husband. Her son showed up and we woke, woke her up. I kept my calm, evaluated the situation, found out that she had taken Xanax. Her husband, who I had relayed information to, arrived and we took her to the hospital. She survived and started recovery. I realized that I needed to make a change. 
that I needed to do something that would help people. I asked my friends who was I asked my friend who was a detective with the local abuse department that he thought about me becoming a cop. And his response was, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. I lined up a ride along. That day I worked a 14-hour day in summer heat. Tried to take a nap, but I couldn't sleep because I was too excited. Instead, I went to the gym and went to my my graveyard ride-along. I got done at 0600 and was wide awake. I knew it was the career I'm meant for. I recently applied and passed the PT test, an oral board interview, but didn't have enough points to make it to the academy this go-around. So I will continue trying until I'm a police officer here in Salt Lake City. Sorry this is so long, but this is my never-quit story. The past year getting ready for the oral board interview, I was writing about my mom's passing. I couldn't write about it in detail. I asked my girlfriend, and she told me to write my feelings down on paper, and, and it snowballed from there. Writing anything that comes to mind. When I was doing that and talking to her, I realized that I thought I killed my mom. I had this ridiculous guilt that I pushed into the back of my head because I was raised to just deal with it, my emotions, and I never talked about it. I cried, and then it was an instant relief of motion. Like a dark cloud had just parted above me, and the sun was finally shining. I could sleep at night easily, and I felt stable emotionally. It's hard to explain because it took seven years to get out, get that out. But I want everyone to know that if you're even like me or think your situation isn't a big deal because the only guarantee in life is death and you'll lose the people you love, eventually it's okay to talk to somebody about what it is hurting you regardless of how big or small you think it is. Talk to a prefer. Talk to a professional, a friend, your spouse, seriously, anyone. Never hold it in because you want to be a man, especially because someone you know could could be having a hard time and you talking to them could help them realize that they are not alone. You are not alone. I hope this diatribe wasn't too hard to read. Thank you for helping me stay motivated and to keep pushing me towards my dream of becoming an LEO. Thank you for reading and letting me share my never quit story. Zach, bravo Zulu, brother. Way to make it through that, man. I can't imagine how difficult it is to lose your mom, and but I do understand feeling guilt. I think guilt riddles all of us at some time or another in our lives. The true quest is to have that moral courage like Pardee talked about, and he also talked about this, to forgive And being able to forgive yourself in tough times is one of the greatest ignition points for that never-quit mindset. So thank you, sir, for writing in. I also want to thank God and Christ and my family and John and the girls. I want to thank, uh, you know, everybody in the past that have has lived with moral courage to really inspire the rest of us. Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, all mm. these great human beings that inspire us to to ha- be more conscious about the oppression that exists in this world. And I want to thank you boys. Man, thank you. I really appreciate all that you do and for enabling me to live out this dream with y'all. Yeah, buddy. Zach, good job, man. That's it's, <sighs> Losing a parent's tough. You do it in the beginning, it's, it's even tougher because you don't have that, that time. If, the way it works, though, is we lose our parents. They die. Uh, hopefully, 
we get a long time with them. But if you lose them in the beginning, it's it's kind of one of those deals where you gotta try and grow up and be the man or woman that they would have wanted you to be. Kind of on your own. That's when you fall into the family and do all of that and tell stories about them and keep their memory around because they're always around. So it's uh, it is tough, especially if you don't have any backup. So good on you for doing that, man, and keep uh, keep trying to become the man that she that you know they would have wanted you to be. And party, man, dude, you're a warrior, bro. I'm fired up to have you on here. That was a good time, man. I, as much as I love boxing, and um, your path is truly one of uh, uh, righteousness. Way you live your life, it's it's something to emulate, man. You're a, you're a, a true pillar of of your faith. Good job. So, um, man of the Holy Family, thank you for putting me here to my family. Let, thanks for letting us do this and all our fans. Fans, teammates, and cut that fan part out, right? It's all teammates here. Thank y'all for for letting us do this. Keep bringing us back and meeting all these incredible people, man. Just makes our day sways with who we have on here, right? And, totally. and uh, when you run out what? on uh, in like that one, man, it's good. It's good to go. So thank you guys so much. I'm out. Out. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 